All right, so let's get to this message. Things you can't control. Uh, you saw a video there, six things. We'll come back to those things, you, specific things you can't control. But here's an important thing that you need to understand about moving on in your faith because uh, I know a lot of times it feels like there's movement going on, but you're not getting anywhere, you know? You're just moving, you know, the carousel kind of a thing. You're just moving. And a lot of it has to do with your faith. One of the problems we have with faith is we don't understand it. I mean, even the Bible confuses us when it talks about faith, right? Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's confusing. What does that mean? It is substance of things I just hope for. Wait, I just hope for it, but it's substance. It's evidence of stuff I can't see. Wait a minute, how, how do I see the evidence then? There's evidence of things I cannot see. It's substance of things hoped for. How do I, under, how do I get this? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's confusing for somebody who's trying to figure it out, you know. And, and think about evidence in a little bit. And here, here's a little bit of a clue. Uh, clue, that's kind of cute. Evidence clue, right? Throwing together. You know, crime, the crime scene shows. They don't know who the perpetrator is, but there's evidence. You see the evidence that ties that perpetrator to this thing that is happening right here. That's what faith is. It is evidence of the, Even though I don't see and I don't yet know what's going to happen, I've got some evidence here that show, oh, here's where God is working and what God wants to do. That's the evidence. It is, not this, it is not this flighty thing that, oh, I just believe, or oh, I just feel, or oh, I just want. No, it's not that. It is substance. It is something that you can stand on. It is substance. It is evidence. It is not hope so. It is evidence. You know what evidence is? Evidence is something that, that just proves you are here. We need to look for the evidence that proves God is here in the middle of, of a decision or, or something. Let me take you to another scripture. Galatians, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, a verse I've never used uh, uh, on a sermon on faith, and that's in a way kind of what this message is about, is faith. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. A couple of things that are in there. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You know, so uh, as you do something to the Lord, you know, your attitude of how you do it, and then doing it heartily with everything you've got, there are two important, those two important things right there in that verse are important things about faith. Your attitude and your effort. You are in control because God has created us this way. There are a million things going on in this world that I do not control, but there are two things I always control. My attitude and my effort. And when I put them in line with my, my faith in God, you need to see these two things as the two elements of your faith, your attitude and your effort. These are the things that, that will help bring to pass and help you with the things that you cannot control. Okay, so let's talk about those things. First of all, let's begin with a, having a Colossians 3.23 attitude. Talking about faith, an attitude. And, and, you know, when you think about faith, a lot of people think that faith is you know, how I feel about something. Oh, and man, if so I just feel that this is going to work, and yeah, and amen, and I believe all this, and this is wonderful, and whoo, it's so good to be in church today, and everything's going to be wonderful because of all that, and, and my attitude, and, and it's all about emotion. And emotion, if you've, got an, if you've got a faith that is built on emotion, you're going to be up one day and down one day. You're going to feel great with God for about a week, and then you're going to be in the dumps for about a month. I mean, that's what it's going to be if you've got a faith that is only about emotion, like a roller coaster. Anybody like roller coasters? Uh, you like uh, illustrations about roller coasters? Because I got some sermon illustrations for you from roller coasters. When I was in Texas, uh, we lived in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and in Arlington, there's six flags over Texas there, and they had this huge roller coaster, one of the largest and fastest in the world, 
uh, called the Titan. And uh, I had uh, uh, or the privilege, or maybe it was that I was uh, just too scared to not get on, to, on, on it because I was the state youth director and all the kids were getting on and I had to get on. I don't know, or, or my kids were getting on. But I had the privilege of writing this thing. And this, this is the upside and this is the downside. 245 feet tall. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You know, when you get on the roller coaster, if you remember, it's hard to vision it right now sitting here. But when you get up there, you don't see you know, that structure that's under you, you don't see that. You can't see the rails and those things. It's like you're in a car that's just flying 245 feet high, you know? And so you're, you're climbing and, you know, and it's a slow process and you just start climbing. And, you know, you can kind of liken that to your Sunday morning experience, right? Because, I mean, you just kind of, oh, man, you just start lifting up and, man, it just starts feeling better and better and you're just getting higher. And, man, you're looking around and, and it's like all those situations, circumstances you've been dealing with all week long, it's like they're just kind of getting farther and farther away as you just get closer and closer to the presence of God. Man, it's just feeling good and it's like, oh, man, if Jamie sings that song one more time, we're just going to leave this roller coaster track, you know, and just just fly. And you get to the very top of this, and you're looking around at everything, and you can see how high that is. And actually, I think in, in Arlington, it's probably the second highest thing, Jerry Land, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, you know, that Jerry built. You know, I think it's just about 15 foot higher than it is. So, I mean, it's one of the highest things, and you get to that top. It, it is awesome. It's scary, but it's awesome as well. And you're up there, and it's like, oh, man, it's wonderful. Just kind of like on Sunday, right? I mean, you just climb and climb and climb, and then by the time service is over, it's like, Woo, this was fun. Man, this was awesome. Let's do this again. Man, you get to the top and wow, this is amazing. And then Monday happens, right? And the hands are still up, but for another reason, right? It's like, ah, please. You know, and on the way down, 85 miles an hour. And I mean, you saw it. I mean, that looks, when you're coming down that thing, I mean, you feel like you're just looking straight down at the ground. I mean, it feels like just a dead drop. 85 miles miles an hour. And man, you know, and you know how it is, man, you are confessing all kinds of things to God, you know. Oh God, get me off of this thing and I'll never get back on a roller coaster. Anybody ever prayed that prayer, you know? <laughs> or maybe you didn't, maybe you're like Kristen. We were on the ride one time and and uh, I thought she was doing pretty good. We were falling, you know, and she wasn't saying a word till we got to the bottom. What it was she couldn't catch her breath. When we got to the bottom, she screamed bloody murder, you know. And so, you know, you're you're, you're screaming like, oh God, if you'll just help me. And you're falling and you're dropping to 255 feet, 85 miles an hour. Oh God. And we do that, don't we, in our life? I mean, like Monday hits, you know, and you're like, oh God, if you will just help me pass this test, I promise next time I'll study. Come on, amen. Oh, God, if you'll help me not kill my boss today, I promise when I get home, I'll start looking for a better job. And, you know, we start, we start confessing and promising all these kinds of things because did you hear me say that it was 255-foot drop? I remember I said it was 245-foot tall. But it's 255-foot drop because I don't know if you can see it really good in this picture, but you see where the drop goes down? It looks like it ends at the ground. There's no tra- What the sadists did that built this thing is they dug a tunnel so that the track goes down. You drop 10 feet more than you climb. I mean, you climb 245 feet and you go down 255 feet at 85 miles an hour. And man, that's like a lot of people. On Sunday, oh man, this is wonderful. And in a few seconds, they lose everything they gained on Sunday and 10 more feet. Sound like Monday to some of you guys? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And man, and you just, oh, if I get through this. Another, another roller coaster in Texas, uh, my son and I, we went down to San Antonio one day. We said, let's go early and let's try out the roller coaster. There was a roller coaster there called the Superman Krypton roller coaster. And it has, it has a loop and it is the highest loop in the world. It is the highest loop on a roller coaster in the world. I check the facts, okay? I know this. And, and I, let me tell you how I go through these loops because 
you know, you've already been up the big hill and down the big hill, you know, and you've been, you know, flipped around back and forth and, you know, you've gotten to, oh, we've gotten a couple of G's here, but man, you get there and you really start, you feel the G's because, man, they got you going. They got to get some speed up to get you around the biggest loop in the whole world. And so they get you around and you hit that and you go, oh, that's the way I go through it. It's kind of, it's just a groan, man. It's like, oh, you know, just get me through this thing. And do you feel that way on Tuesday? Sometimes, oh, if I could just get through Tuesday. You know, you know, Monday was bad, and I just get through, hang on, oh, you know, we finally got through Tuesday, and then, uh, then there's a couple of loops, and I don't even, I, I'm looking at this picture, and I can't even figure out how this, how this goes exactly, but I remember, I remember going through those loops there, you know, and, and the upside, whoo, just the upside down, and you get upside down, and, and when you're going through that, it's like you, you know, you lose it, I, I mean, you know, because you're just tight into the seat, so everything feels like that's down, and this is up, even though you're upside down, and you're just praying that the engineers ha- have figured out some way that at the end of this ride, you're going to going to be right side up again, you know? And that's the way a lot of times it is by Wednesday, isn't it? It's like world, the world is turned upside down and, you know, you don't know which way is up and everything's all messed up and you're just praying, oh God, I hope you've got a plan to get me right side up before this week is over. Yeah? And by the time Thursday and Friday hit, man, you're just hanging on. Everybody, anybody ever ridden the screen machine over in Atlanta, the Six Flags over there? I remember I was about 13 years old when I rode it for the first time. And, uh, the, 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 the reason you're not seeing the, the, the big hill is because the big hill wasn't what scared me at 13 years old. I'd, I got down the big hill. I was like, whew, that wasn't so bad. But it was the last part of that because I was 13 years old. I was skinnier than this, okay? I hadn't yet started putting on a little bit of here. You know, I was skinnier than this. Not quite as tall as this. I was light. And, and if you remember, if you've been on it, it comes down, it goes back up, goes around a turn, and the rest of the ride is like this. I mean, it's just like this. As fast as they can get you. You're just going to... And I, I, at 13 years old and as light as I am, I'm coming out of my seat and I'm saying, oh God, please don't let this, this rail break or I'm gone out of this thing. You know, I thought, I, I, the hill didn't bother me, but I thought I was leaving. You know, I thought I was leaving the thing. I, I, was, I, was, I figured out real quick how to put my feet down, you know, and, and wedge myself in there. That's the way you kind of have to do sometimes by Thursday or Friday. You're just wedging yourself in there saying, I just got to get through this two more days, one more day, and Friday, we've even got an acronym for Friday, don't we? T-G-I-F. Oh, God. If you can just get me through. And then, you know, the sadist that designed this one, you remember the very, the very last scare of this thing? Is you come over that last hill and you go under this awning uh, canopy thing and, and all these, you know, what's really funny is to watch the people on it because all these people have been so brave, you know, coming down the hill, my hands up, no big deal, going through all these things, you know, coming out of your seat. They come over that last hump, you know, and all of a sudden you see this canopy and they know it's there because they've watched the ride, but you see this and there's nothing in you that can make you keep your hands up because you think that canopy's about to take my hands off of my arms and you pull them down. And there's that last little bit of scare at the end of the week and then whoosh, and you kind of slide into home. You know, it's like, whoo, I'm glad that's over. The end of the week is over. It's time to go back to church and the ride starts all over again on Sunday. Let me tell you something. If that's the way you're living your life, that's a miserable life. If your life is about getting enough excitement and enough joy and enough of God on Sunday that I can get through all the rest of it, that's miserable. If your faith is about this, that's miserable. Let me give you, let me give you another, uh, another part of that word, another piece of that word of faith. Another word that comes from that is faithful. You know what faithful means? If you're a faithful friend or if you're a faithful spouse, that means that no matter what happens, you're there. It means that you're, you're, you're the same today. It means that when, when your friend has a horrible problem, and I, I got a friend that had a horrible problem, and, and lots of people know it. Man, they gossiped, they told about it, and I, I did everything I could to say, I don't even know what my, my friend's problem was. 
But you know what I realized? My friend needed a friend. And I still don't know what the problem is. Well, Pastor, you stood by him even though you don't know how bad the thing was. I, here's what I do know is I knew that he was trying to put his life back together. And so whether he was falsely accused of something and he had to straighten everything out, he needed a friend. Or if he had messed up and he needed, and he was trying to put his life back together, he still needed a friend. That's what faithfulness is. And it's a form of the word faith. So that tells us what faith is. That yes, life is going to be like this. But faith means you are like this. My attitude is, God, you are God on Sunday morning when I am at the top, and you are God on Monday evening when I am in the tunnel at the bottom of everything. And every flip, every turn, every toss, every loop, every hump and bump I have to go over, you are God. And your attitude of faith is still the same place. It has nothing to do with emotion. And I got to tell you this. I didn't say this early service. I got to say this right here. I know too many people that that is their life. I know too many people that, that if they can't feel on Thursday what they felt on Sunday, then they think they, they, that God has left them. He has scratched their name out of the Lamb's book of life. They're on their way to hell because I don't feel on Thursday what I felt on Sunday. And that's a miserable life. And I refuse. I refuse as pastor of a church. I refuse to create any more of those as a pastor. I don't want you to be that way. I want you to understand I'm not saying that emotion isn't important because I don't want you to be dead. Robots. You know, man, goodness, I don't want you walking through your life tomorrow as a dead robot. I mean, my goodness, please have some... See, here's the issue. It's not that some people have too much emotion on Sunday. They just don't have enough on Monday. It's not that people don't have... uh, People have too much uh, of God on Sunday. They just don't have enough on Tuesday. So I'm not saying that here, you know, because listen, here, this is the other end of the spectrum, okay? It's people who, I mean, there are some people that they live, their faith is like a checklist. Prayed, got it done. Uh, read the Bible, got it done today, you know, been checking it off, doing all the things I'm supposed to do. You know, and church leaders, we're like, yep, got to get service started on time. You know, that's the important thing. Got to get service started on time. Now, listen, I, I, we do everything we can to start service right on time. And I know some of you get here in the middle of the second song, you know, and I don't know who you are because I got my back to you, but I'm always amazed when I come right up here and stand and turn around and say, whoa, where'd all these people come from since we started this service, you know? And so I encourage you, please come on. I know some of you say, well, why don't you just start a couple minutes late? Because we know what you would do, you know, because then next Sunday you say, well, you know, they don't start for a couple more minutes after, so we can run later, and we just get later and later. You know, come on, you know, get here. And let's, let's start the, the service off good. But you know what? That's, that's a good thing to do, but that's not part of faith. You see, here, here's, here's one of the problems, is if you become a robot going through the motions, you'll become legalistic, and you'll just do it because you have to do it. And you know, here's the kind of thing that'll happen to you is right before you go to sleep and I say, oh man, I hadn't read the Bible today. I am worn out. I don't feel like reading the Bible. You'll grab it and turn it over to John where Jesus just heard about Lazarus. You'll say, Jesus wept. Okay, got that done. Check it off. And I can go to sleep now, right? That's what you'll do. You see, you can't, you can't allow your faith to become emotionless either. You can't allow it to be just about the things of getting it done because sometimes Faith calls us to move into places where there are no guidelines. There is no step A, B, C, and D. And you just got to walk by faith. It's like, you know, like this right now. We, we know how this ought to work. 
We ought to, you know, buy, we ought to buy that building. The, the city ought to rezone that building. We ought to fix that building. And we ought to sell this building right before we move out of it and everything work out. And now God is saying, no, we're going to do something a little different here and we've got to go in a different direction. And you're saying, no, wait a minute, God, you've got step C ahead of step B and A here. Now, God, now what are we going to do with this? That's the way you get sometimes. Sometimes faith calls you to places where what God is doing doesn't make sense in the way the world thinks and the way things go. And you have to do what God calls you to do. So let me, let me show you the two paradigms, the two ends of the spectrum here. Whatever's built on emotion is temporary. Relationships without emotion are life. Let me say it this way. I started to redo this late last night, just say it in plain English this way. Is relationships that are about emotion are temporary. You got some of them in junior high school, elementary school, right? Did y'all, y'all remember back that far? Some of the rest of it? But you know, you had emotion, relationships built on emotion are temporary. But you know what? Relationships that have no emotion, let's not use that word, let's use the real word, they are dead. And God ain't interested in those either. He's not interested in relationships built on emotion. He's not interested in relationships built uh, without any emotion. Somewhere in the middle of this is a place that is pleasing to God in your attitude of faith. And that is the place that you need to find. That is the place you need to find. So let's talk now a little bit about the Colossians 3.23 effort of faith. Okay, and, and we gave you these six, these six things. I'm going to run through these pretty quick. Okay, um, but some of you need to take some notes. Because right now I'm about to give you some steps, some things to do, some ways to start looking at stuff, and some things that you need to do. Uh, some specific things. One of them is traffic. Okay, you, can, you can't control traffic, can you? You know, uh, you know, unless you're a traffic engineer of a city, I guess you get to control traffic, but you can't control traffic. Let me tell you, when, when we were getting ready to launch 2911, I was working three part-time jobs. Not because I needed a lot of money, but because they were very part-time jobs. And so I had to work three of them to, to uh, make ends meet. And one of those was downtown Birmingham. And you know what I learned? I learned that if I left about 7.10 or 7.15 to go to Birmingham, it took me about 40 minutes to get there because of the traffic. Took me about 40 minutes to get to my, to my place that I was working. And, but then I learned, and this job I was working, that they were open at 7, so I could go as early as 7, but I didn't have to be there any specific time. I could be there at 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I learned that if I waited until 7.50 to leave, I would miss the traffic. I could get there in about 20 minutes. So, if I, so I realized that I didn't want to leave between 7.10 and 7.50. I would either leave before and get there early, or if I had something to do that morning there at the house, I'd get that done, and I would leave about 8 o'clock and get there and everything. You know, I didn't change traffic, but I found a different option. And the enemy, Satan, wants you to believe you have no options. You are in a dead-end situation, and nothing will ever change. You are who you are because of your family, because of your traits, your DNA, all that kind of stuff. You are who you are because of the decisions you've made. You've made your bed. You've got a line and all that. He wants you to believe you have no options. You need to look around. God has an option for you. You see, that's kind of a little bit of maybe where we are as a church. We think, oh, no, they won't zone the bit. So what do we do now? We have no options. Yes, we have options because we have God on our side. And when God is on our side, there is always an option because he knew the rezoning wouldn't happen this year in January. And so he already had a plan for that. Guess what? He's got one for your life too. And whatever you can't control in your life that is going in the wrong direction, my goodness, right now, God, God's Spirit is just, is just really breaking me over this because I'm 
looking at some of your faces and I know you're struggling with things that you want to fix today. And you, may, you, you say, I don't understand. Yes, you don't understand, but look around. God will give you, there are more options and you're not in a dead end. It's not over. And it is never over until God says it's over. That building's not sold yet. And the rest of the world may say we will not end up there. But if God says that's where we're supposed to be, that building is not going to sell and it's going to be open and we're going to be there because God always has options. You need to find what the options are, such as like with the weather. You know, some of you don't like rain, do you? I know it makes your hair kink up, right? Well, God, God helped me get over that a long time ago. You know, there is a great, let me tell you, there is a great invention called an umbrella. You need to get you one. If I, I, you know, I can raise money for the missions trip right now. Shannon, if I had some umbrellas, maybe, you know, it's, it's, you know, because we're going to have some rain again today. You need to get you an umbrella. I mean, because you can, you can turn all the problems of your rainy day, you know, you just get rid of them all. And you don't control the weather, but you change. It's just like when we lived in Chicago. Uh, and Deva, uh, Deva got a job while we were there. She was teaching at a daycare. We went there for my job, but then she got a job while we were there also to make a little extra money. And she said many times the hardest part of her job was in the winter, on the way to work, passing that bank and seeing that thermostat, uh, that thermometer say minus three degrees. The hardest part of going to work. But you know what we did? You know, if I was going to be out in the weather, I had thermals. You know, I put on some thermals, and if I was going to be out in a good bit, I had, you know, the shirt too. I'd put it. You'd layer up. T-shirt on top of that, another shirt on top of that, parka. A parka is a big, thick coat. We don't have them down here, most of us, you know, because a big, thick coat, parka, gloves. I meant those big, thick, insulated gloves. You put on your hat, you go out, and you crank the car 10 minutes before you want to leave, leave the heater on and go back inside. I know that, and I don't know, this may be foreign to you because you live down, you know, here in Alabama. This is where I'm from, but it may be foreign to some of you, but you crank it up, you turn it on, even though it's cold. In a couple of minutes, it's going to be warm. And when you go out 10 minutes, it's going to be warm, you know, and you can drive to wherever you've got to go. You know what? You learn to live with it. Here's what's, what happened is we didn't, we didn't change the weather. We didn't let the weather control us. We actually got to the place where we were accustomed to doing those kinds of things. And you didn't every time you walk out the door say, oh, I, got, I can't. No, you just dealt with it. And here's the proof. is because my 5'2", cold-natured wife went and found a job in the middle of a Chicago winter. We didn't let the weather control us. You need to use what you have. God has already given you some tools and some things. What do you have? An umbrella? Spiritually speaking, connect the dots. What do you have? Put your parka on. God has given you a big parka to protect you. Put your thermals on. He's, put some, he's given you something to, to keep you warm and to keep you protected. You know, put your gloves, put your hat on. And, and see, that reminds me of Ephesians. Reminds me of the armor of God that gives us to protect, that He gives us to protect us. You have something. So use whatever it is that you have. The economy. I, I, I don't control the nation's economy. I don't control even your economy. But I got a ton of control over my own economy. I'm gonna give you three, I'm gonna give you three points right here you need to get. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of relate them a little bit, but you can relate them to anything. If the thing you can't control is finances and you're struggling financially, ec- economically, for some reason, the economy's hit you, here's some things you need to say. Like, you want to be, you wanna be uh, the boss, you want to be in business for yourself, learn to say no to yourself. You know why? Because everybody thinks, you know, Donald Trump, he gets to say yes to himself all the time. So I want to be the boss, so I can always say yes. He didn't always get to say yes to himself. He just can now because he's at the top. Until you get to the top, you got to learn to say no. You gotta learn, you gotta learn to say no to yourself. 
And not no to just people. You got to say no to yourself. You are, are you want to retire early? Go generic. Go generic. You know, there's a whole lot of people today. They got filet mignon and, and lobster and caviar appetites, you know, and they're, they're living it up and everything, and they're going to retire on beanie weenies and ramen noodles. You know, because they did not, you know, you need to think about, and, and if you don't like generic, I'm, I, it's just the example. You need, to, you, need, you need to back off and say, if I want to do this, then I've got to make some rules here. Because this is something we don't teach in America anymore. How to say no. We don't even teach our kids how to say no to themselves. We don't teach it in our homes. We don't teach it in our schools. Politicians definitely don't teach us. They, don't t- they want to tell us to say no to us, but they don't say no to themselves. We don't teach this in America anymore. And, and, and this last one right here, if you get the heart of God and you want to become a giver and say, I want to not be bound by anything. And I want to be able to give like I should give. And listen, I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not the huge Francis Chan um, fan. Like I read everything he writes and I, I got to listen to that video, but you're probably going to see a video from him in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, heading, heading up another sermon. But I have become more and more of a fan of his over the, here recently because of what he has done because he left his big, huge church that he was at for 17 years. And he says, I've done everything I can for them. They have become, and he didn't say this. What he's saying is they become a church that I want to make sure we don't become just another one on the street that is no longer reaching out to the community and trying to reach the unchurched. We, uh, last November, we had 127 people attending here that were not attending church for coming to Church 2911. And recently, we've not seen as many people, unchurched people, come as first-time attenders. Why is that? Because you were the ones inviting them before last November. If we're forgetting who we are, God, get rid of this building right now. When it's empty, blow it away. Not while anybody's in it, but when it, you know, whatever it takes, God. If, if this building is turning us into just another church, we have a DNA as Church 2911, and it is to reach the unchurched and the de-churched, and we're doing it. Almost 50% of our, and I hadn't checked it lately. I'm kind of scared to just a little bit because we're getting, we're getting fewer FTA, first-time attenders that aren't, and i got to hurry here. I don't want to belabor this. But Francis Chan, he got tired of that, and he sold his house. He cut back. He got rid of the toys. He said, I went home and talked to my wife about it. I went, had to talk to my kids about it. I saw, one of his, I saw one of his daughters actually on a TV show as well. And you have to change some things if you want to. Get rid of some toys. If you want to be a giver, get rid of some toys. I got, I got to say something. You got your cell phone ready? You can tweet this? Somebody got to tweet this. This is tweetable. or This is, this is a must tweet, I believe. We need to remember, Jesus Christ died for our sin and our eternal life. Okay, here's this. Get this. Jesus Christ did not die for us to have bigger toys. And we have, we have forgotten that in the church even. We have, we have preached, we have preached, yes, and I preach that Jesus Christ came to give us life and life more abundantly, but that doesn't mean He came so we could have bigger toys. It doesn't mean He hung on a cross so you could have a bigger house. It doesn't mean He hung on a cross so you could have more cars in your garage. He did not die so we could have bigger toys. He died for people's souls. And we need to realize and get rid of some toys. And say, God, put us in a place. Put us in a place that you can use us. Uh, let me hurry these last two things. Uh, uh, change. Change is going to happen. You're going to lose hair. It's going to turn white. You know, that 
big chest you had and shoulders back in high school, guys, it's going to go south on you, you know, and that kind of thing. It's going to change, but you control the change. Therefore, since we are surrounded, look, i got to say this. Hebrews chapter 11, the first verse was the definition I gave you. The rest of the chapter was talking about all these people that had great faith in the things that they did. And so then, then the very next verse in the next chapter said, therefore, since we are surrounded by so many people, so many great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Here's the plain language just... Cut down to it just a little thing. What he's saying is put down what's bad and what not is not good for you. Put down what is bad for you and also put down what is not good for you. Not, he says the sin, yes. He says if, if there's sin that keeps tripping you up, you keep getting caught in, put that down. Get rid of it. But he also says even the weights, the stuff that maybe isn't bad for you, but it's not good for you. Here's the thing. is If you're asking a question, can I still go to heaven if I do this? I guarantee you, you're limping. If you're asking, is this thing that I have in my life standing between me and God and where He won't hear my prayers, I guarantee you, you're limping. You might be on your way to heaven and God may hear every one of your prayers, but if you're asking that question, you're carrying a weight <coughs> that may not be bad for you, but it's not good for you. And you know what happens? You're carrying that weight. You can't hardly move it around, you know, so you're just moving. You know, and what he's saying here, what he's talking about here is don't just move. Put down the weights, put down the sins so that you can run the race and move forward. I can't change others. I can't control others. I can't say, let me say this. There was a, there was a study. I, I, I am hurrying, believe it or not. I don't know. Um, there was a study. I don't even know how they did this study, how they figured this out, but that 80% of negative conversations you have in your life will somehow impact your life. That's going to happen. And you, and you say, well, I can't control that. But here's what you can control. You control the somehows. You control how they impact your life. For example, when I was a kid and they first started allowing cuss, cuss words, you know, the, the, the four-letter words come on TV, my mom, you know, I mean, she's like, oh, you know that. I mean, you know, you just feel the, the whole building kind of shake, kind of just go, oh, and when my mom did that, you know, and she, oh, and she did it all the time. You know what? My kids will tell you, you know, they've heard me do the same thing, oh, or grunt, or groan, or like, oh, you know what? And I've decided, I've decided if I don't keep reacting like that, I'll accept it and say, well, it's no big deal. Let me tell you, it still bothers me when I hear somebody use the name of my Lord in vain. The one who died for me on a cross. And you know what? I'm going to, or I'm going to groan, or I'm going to do something because I don't want to. That's impacting me when I hear someone say it, whether it's somebody on the street or it's somebody on TV. It impacts me. And I have decided the way it's going to impact me is I'm going to make it tear at my spirit and dig up my righteous indignation that I cannot allow this to become norm and accept this. That I've got to. You see, you can't control what other people say and do, but you control the somehows of the how it impacts you. And the last thing, or your family. I, I know some of you are like, man, I, I sure would like to change my, man, if I could change my family, if we, if we just had a different gene pool in this family, you know, we could, we could just do, do a whole lot, be a whole lot better. And the funny thing about that is you've got family members that are praying that when they look at you. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, if, if he just, or just, if they just, if we could just change, and you can't change your family. You can't change who you were born into. 
Your genes are your genes. You cannot get a DNA transplant. I don't think they can't do that yet, can they? You can't get a DNA transplant. And so I, I can't control my family, which is sad because we've all got family members that are not on their way to heaven, and we want to change that. I can't change that, Pastor. You have a lot more control. You don't control it, but you have a lot more control or impact that you can have on their life. I told you I'd tell you about this in a moment. In front of you, there's a card. If you're on the front row, reach around behind you. Grab one, please. There's an ink pen, too. 311. There are three people in your life. I believe, I believe God has led us to this. So I believe God is going to remind you of three people in your life. You probably already know who they are. Three people in your life that you want to see come to know Jesus Christ before it's too late for them. Write their name down right, right here. Listen, and this is not something you're going to give in to me. You're going to hand in. You're taking this home with you. This is yours. So don't worry about spelling a word by handwriting. Don't even worry about embarrassing. Well, I don't want to write that. No, you're going to keep this to yourself, okay? Write those names down. And I said, Pastor, somebody, I said, Pastor, I got five or six. No, 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 don't do that. You write down five, six, seven, or eight, you will not get this done, okay? Write down three. This is, this is, I believe this is God's direction for us. Write down three because we're going to see some impact in their lives. Because this is, this is not, a, I know you might say, well, Pastor, yes, I, I, I believe in faith that God's going to save their soul. Okay, that's your attitude of faith. What about your effort of faith? Write their names down. And now here's what I want you to start doing. Starting today at 1 o'clock, pray for them one minute. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock, pray for them one minute. Tuesday at 1 o'clock, pray for them one minute. I know you've got an attitude of faith that they're going to be saved. But what about your effort of faith? Pray for them one. And you know, I believe it's, it will probably lead to other things. You might even have to have your own little prayer meeting some night because God will just move on you to do more. Or it may be that He uses you to maybe take uh, this a little bit more seriously and throw that into their life as well, the 20 touches. And, and listen, some of, you, some of you probably go to lunch from 12 to 1. Hey, great. The last thing you do before you go back to work, clock in or sit down at your desk, is pray for them. 1 o'clock is not like you've got to do it right then. 1 o'clock is your reminder. So if you have to be back at work at 12.45, go ahead, pray for them then. If you don't go to lunch till 1 o'clock, great. So you get in the car or whatever or sit down when you're asking a blessing, go ahead and pray for them. Or if you go to, at school, your lunch break is 11.30 to 12.30 and you got to do it 30 minutes early. No big deal. 1 o'clock is the reminder. 1 o'clock is not the deadline. Pray for them. And here's what I want you to do. Um, I, want you, I, want, I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you that God, and listen, if you can set it on your smartphone, just things like that, you know, 1209. I don't know why there's one off 1209. But, you know, if you set that on your smartphone to remind you this week, I want to, I want to pray with you right now. I know you've got an attitude of faith that they're going to be saved. But somebody's got to put some effort to that faith because faith has two components, attitude and effort. Bow with me for a moment. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have put these people in our hearts. It is possible, God, that some of the people, it is likely, God, that some of the people written on these cards right now are not on anybody else's heart except for the person sitting here. It is very likely that there is nobody else in this world that is praying for their salvation except someone sitting here that just wrote their name down. There are people like that on some of these cards right now. So God, I ask you, hear our prayers. As we begin this afternoon at 1 o'clock, hear our prayer. 
And God, this is not something we're trying to talk you in. We understand this is your heart. You want to know them. You want to meet them. God, I ask you, just hear our, hear our prayer of our heart that is connecting with your heart. And God, save their soul before it's too late. And everybody said, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to put some effort with your attitude? You really want to see somebody saved? Put some effort with your attitude. One minute a day is all it takes. I guarantee do it and see what God will do. One last thing I need to share with you. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then Jamie's going to close with a, lead us in a final song. There are a lot of things in life you can't control. This message, it was titled, Things You Can't Control, but it was really about the things you can control. And though there are a million things out there you can't control, there are two things you can always control in your life. They are about your faith, your attitude, and your effort. You always control that. And by controlling that, see, God set this up that way. By controlling that, you control how those uncontrollable things impact your life by just controlling your attitude and your effort. That's what God gave you. It is an awesome gift that God has given you by placing in every single one of us a measure of faith. And it only takes a small measure to move mountains. It only takes a small measure to do great things. So whatever is the uncontrollable in your life, just get your mind off of it. Quit worrying about the uncontrollable and start focusing on what you control. And, and stop letting the weather and other things. Stop letting those things control you and you start controlling the impact that those things have on you and on the people around you that you're praying for. Stand with me if you will.